Praise the Lord tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. You're worthy. Hallelujah. We praise your name. Hallelujah. You're worthy. Lord, we lift you up. Amen. God bless you. Welcome tonight to another Bible study. As most of you are aware, today is election day, and hopefully if you have not voted, you'll get a chance to get out and put your vote in before the time is up this evening. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you would bless us, speak to us afresh, cause us to learn and to be open to your holy will. Oh God, we thank you because you are worthy to be praised. And Lord, we lift you up. And we thank you for what that means in our lives. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. As most of you are aware, we've been in the middle of a series of teachings on answers for the struggle, ancient wisdom for modern problems, and we are on study number 27. It has been a study of the book of Proverbs. This is number 27 tonight, and tonight we're doing 15 lessons from Proverbs 27, 15 lessons from Proverbs 27. And so we're going to look at it, we're going to work it over and think about what it has to say to us. And uh, let's see if we can dig in a little bit here tonight and see what God has for us tonight. I want to start in verses 1 and 2, Proverbs 27, 1 and 2. I'm reading from the uh, Amplified Version of the Bible, and it reads, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And I want to give you this. This is uh, the very first of the 15 lessons. And get it this way. It's humility above arrogance. Humility above arrogance. You know, one of the problems that we suffer from in the world is this uh, belief uh, that that we can say anything, do anything, uh, as though we don't have people to answer to or situations that require us to be accountable. And sometimes we, we speak and we boast about stuff even before it happens. We, we, this is not a testimony. It becomes a brag. It becomes, oh, I'm going to get this or I'm going to get this job, or I'm going to get this position, or I'm going to get this particular item. And because we boast of it, if it does not materialize, we feel shame, we feel bad, we get angry at other people if they bring it up. So I thought you, were going, you said you were getting a new car. you still riding in your hoopty. Well, because you went out and you boasted about tomorrow. You began to speak about what had not yet taken place, and you played yourself in no uncertain terms. And the problem that people have when they speak presumptuously, even when they have good, solid reasons for saying it. Um, one of my favorite uh, uh, characters and uh, actors now is a guy named Don Cheadle. And Don Cheadle's a favorite actor of mine and became uh, from a movie called Devil in a Blue Dress. And in that movie, he is hilarious. He is, plays a character called Mouse, 
and he uh, just really it just shows up. He he actually uh, probably for the only time I've ever seen he actually almost shows up Denzel Washington. His character just is so overwhelming and so endearing in all of its ignorance, if you will. Um, and there's nothing about his character that would make you fall in love with him other than his loyalty to his friends because he does a lot of nefarious things. But in the acting realm, he's doing a super, super job. So later, I went to hear, uh, listen to him do an interview. And as he was doing the interview, he, he shared a wisdom that he received from none other than Bill Cosby. Now, put aside all the things you may think about Bill Cosby, his wisdom was right. So um, he said uh, to that Bill Cosby was talking to him and was talking to him about learning to be humble. And he said, he said to him, he says, he says, well, you know, how do I do that? He said, he said, remember this. When you're in a movie and you shoot a lot of scenes, don't go out and tell everybody, oh, I'm in that movie. Oh, I've got, not, I've got a big role. Or I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Because the only thing you know for sure is that you shot scenes. I'm paraphrasing now. Bill says, wait until the movie comes out. And when they ask you, is that you? You then say, yeah, that was me. He said, because what you don't know is what the editor is going to do when they put the movie together. Because between the director and the editor, the cut that finally comes out may leave scenes out that you were in. You were in the movie. You even got a movie credit with the Actors Guild. You even got paid for being in the movie. But you did not show up in the final film because you were edited out. So you didn't lie. But now you feel bad because in the final version that your friends see, you were not there. And the reality is, is that learning not to boast, become braggadocious about your future and what's going to happen is a great thing. Okay, they, you're talking about hiring you at a particular position. Hey, mom's the word. I'll talk about it when I get it. Until then, I'm working the job I have now. Because you learn to humility over arrogance, above arrogance. So that, so that you get to the place where you let others talk about your skills. You let other people talk about what you're doing. You let strangers elevate you. You do not elevate yourself. So you learn to walk in humility. Now that's not just something for actors. That's not something for basketball players. Uh, I was I was laughing the other day uh, because uh, those of you know I'm, I've been following Dion's uh, career. Dion uh, Sanders called primetime at Jackson State University, and he does a lot of promos on on TV and on social media. And uh, Dion's daughter goes to Jackson State, and she plays on the girls' women's basketball team. And so uh, Dion was with her the other day, and he grabbed her, and said, "Let me pray for you," and because she's on the team. So he says, Lord, I'm praying that you give her playing time. <laughs> and Lord, please let her score. Well, the, the joke is that being on the team is only one part. Getting in the game is the other. That's why you keep humble. 
you keep humble. You, you, stay, you keep your head in place because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Number two, number two, comes up in verses three and four. Really interesting, he says, stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's unreasonable wrath is heavier and more burdensome than both. Wrath is cruel and anger is an overwhelming flood. But who will be able to endure and stand before the sin of jealousy? I want to I lift this up. Number two is heaviness aroused by anger. Heaviness aroused by anger. Recognize that the spirit of anger, the spirit that causes people to want to cuss one another out, the spirit that causes people to be uh, filled with wrath, and I, I just call it plain old evilness, that spirit is an overwhelming flood. I try to tell people, you, you need to make sure that if you scale your emotions one to 10, make sure you stay below 10. Because once you get on 10, it's hard to bring you down because not only is it uncontrollable in the presence of others, but they can't keep you under control, but you can't keep you under control. Because when you get on 10, your mouth is saying stuff that your heart doesn't always really mean. You, you're speaking out of your, your, your emotions, and when you do that, you're subject to say and do something that is you can't pull it back. And he, said, he says that that same spirit, that same spirit is the same spirit that overwhelms us when jealousy is at stake. So the same spirit that puts you on 10 with anger is the same spirit that puts you on 10 with the spirit of jealousy. So you have to keep yourself in a position to where you are not allowing yourself to be dictated, your actions to be dictated by your emotions. That your emotions are not dictating your actions because it becomes a burden to you and you become emotionally, mentally, physically, psychologically exhausted because you become, it is the proverbial tail that is now wagging the dog. Instead of the dog wagging its own tail, the tail is deciding where the dog will go. When you allow your emotions to rule your body and rule your life, it becomes a heaviness which is aroused by anger, a burden. Keep yourself under subjection. Keep your spirit under subjection. That way you have control over you. You know, I, I say this all the time. I cannot control what someone else does, what happens to me. I can only control how I respond. So I'm in charge of my reaction. I'm not in charge of their action. And if I keep myself disciplined enough 
my reaction will be out of my character or within the realm of my character and not within the realm of that which I am able to reach. Let me put it to you this way. All of us can be pushed out of our character. All of us can be pushed to a place where we are not acting like ourselves. But if I am now disciplined enough, I will never let you do anything to me that'll make me not be me. Because my character is in check by my discipline. And so what I want to do is I want to get myself to the place where I recognize who I am. So, so you, you have to get to the place where you allow yourself to hold on to that which is wise. Now, as I press my claim towards this and I recognize who I am, then I need to understand something that is just another principle which comes up in verse 5. Verse 5 and 6 says, Better is an open reprimand of loving correction than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. So number three is honesty doesn't avoid agitation. Honesty doesn't avoid agitation. Just because I, I love you and I care about you, it does not mean I'm not going to tell you the truth. I'm going to, going to put a loving correction on it. Uh, the other day, sitting at the table with my children and my wife, we were having a conversation and something came up and I said something that was kind of harsh, not to them, but about a situation. And they looked like, whoo, because I don't normally put it that bluntly. But there are certain things that require correction and it needs to be done immediately. And if I love you, I'm not going to avoid agitation because it's not going to feel good. I'm going to tell you outright, because I'm honest with you, I'm not going to avoid agitation. Now watch this. But there are other things that really don't matter that you could get into, you could say something about, you could, ah, okay. So, yeah, I may not be crazy about you doing that, but it's not a life or death situation. It, it's a choice. You're making a choice that I don't agree with. There's nothing, nothing wrong with it. It's just not the choice I would make. But when it's something that speaks to character and truth, I then have to offer loving correction. Because see, if I'm really good, am I really who I say I am? My wound to you is that of a faithful friend. I'm, I'm, I may be hurting you, but I'm hurting you to save you. I'm correcting you out of concern. So it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a, um, you're getting ready to walk into the street. Uh, I, the other day I saw a, a, a thing where a woman was about to walk the street again on one of those uh, devices. A telephone or something and your head down to walk in the street and the person next to them grabbed them and both of them fell down. 
But when the car zoomed past them, the person that was on the phone and that was angry that you knocked me down realized, oh my God, you just saved my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Oh, it may hurt. It may not be comfortable, but I'm saving you from something worse. But enemies, I got, I got enemies. I got, I got, I got, I got enemies, enemies. En oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, just y'all don't get that. But anyway, enemies will kiss you. Will say it's all good, everything's great, because they are deceitful and they have a hidden agenda. Some folk want you to fail. They want you to fall. So if I care about you and you present me something that doesn't look good, I'm going to tell you, look, that's not good. Hopefully I'll say it in a manner in which you can receive it and I'm not trying to crush you or anything, but hey, that, that's not your best work. You can do better. You can phrase that better. You can do it. But enemies always have hidden agendas. And they'll kiss up on you and they'll tell you something's good. They'll say something's okay. Uh, or, or as the uh, comedian would put it, you wearing an outfit they know make you look like Boo Boo the Clown. And they look at you and say, that looks good on you. Meaning I wouldn't be caught dead in it, but it looks good on you. Now you walking outside thinking you look good, you got your head up in the air and everybody laughing at you and your so-called friend knew they were going to laugh and wanted to expose you as a clown or wanted to expose your clown outfit. That's an enemy. Now see, a friend going to tell you, friend going to say something. You know, I, I remember when I was growing up, I have three sisters. I have no brothers then. I got brothers now in love and in life. Um, but my sisters, you know, when they get dressed, back then girls had to wear stockings. Y'all remember them? And slips. You didn't go out the house without a slip on. Whether it was a, the full length slip over your shoulders, down to the ground, <laughs> or the slip that you pull up to the waist, and you, you young women have no clue what women used to go through. They'd they be putting them stockings on, getting ready. Well, when they got dressed, if I saw them about to walk out the door and the slip was below the skirt, I'd have to say, hey, 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 you're slipping. You're slipping. Hey. Why? Because I don't want you walking out looking bad. Now, I can tell you, there have been times I've seen people who had stuff out of order. I couldn't say nothing to because I knew they wouldn't receive it. But you have to know when you care, you want to help one another out. You, you want to love each other. And that's why honesty doesn't avoid agitation. Number four comes from verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. Look at what he says. He who is satisfied... Lows, who is satisfied loathes honey, but is but to the hungry soul uh, any bitter thing is sweet. Like a bird that wanders from her nest with its comfort and safety, so is a man who wanders from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so does the sweetness of a friend's counsel that comes from the heart. Do not abandon your own friend and your father's friend, 
and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your disaster. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, because that's so convoluted, I'm going to read it in another translation, but get this really quick. Number four is this. Healthy allies are an anchor. Healthy allies are an anchor. What, what the text really means is that you are to make relationships and friendships with those around you. You're to develop allies in life and not just be your only family as your, as your ally. You're to develop relationships because those people around you become your circle of contact and an anchor to you within the community. Okay, if your family is in Florida for the most part and they're down in uh, Lakeland, <laughs> they way down yonder. Well, if you, you have an issue here in Connecticut, you need to have healthy allies here, friends here. Not that they wouldn't, but folks here can be your friends. So watch what it, what it says. It tells you that when you have a need, those who are around you will help you to get through those needs, situations. Let me read it from the, uh, the, the Message Bible. When you, when you stuff yourself, you refuse dessert. When you starve, you can eat a horse. People who won't settle down, wandering hither and yon, are like restless birds flittering to and fro. So the, the message is, settle yourself. Just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. When you have friends, it refreshes your soul. Don't leave your friends or your parents' friends and run home to your family when things get tough. Better a nearby friend than a distant family. So that you learn how, wherever you are, to develop relationships in that place because those healthy allies are an anchor to you where you are. Uh, the, other, the other way in which we, we say this to people um, is learn to bloom where you're planted. Learn to set roots down. Learn to bloom where you are. When you go to the next place, learn how to do it again. You've got to learn how to do it. Number five. Number five. My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may reply to him who reproaches, reprimands, or criticizes me. Well, this is a good one. I like this one. Because number five is honorableness abates accusations. Honorableness abates accusations. Now, this is important because, you know, we all represent someone. And whenever our children leave us, when they're out doing things, whatever they do is a reflection upon us. But if I know that they live or they're acting in an honorable manner, in a manner that is consistent with the values of their family, 
whenever someone comes up to say something about them, the argument is abated immediately. The accusation is abated immediately because I know that I've raised an honorable child. That's what, the, that's what he's saying. And, and I, I put this to my children when they were very young in a, a three-word phrase that I said to them all the time. Matter of fact, I said it so much that, that when I would turn around in the car and look at them and get ready to say it, they would say it for me. Just three words. Look at them, I say, make us proud. That's it. Make us proud. Now, the reason I said make us proud is that I want them to know whatever you do is a reflection of us. So try not to bring shame or dishonor, make us proud. Because I will always, until the Lord removes me from this, this plane here to the plane of glory, I will always have my children as a reflection of me, whatever they do. And I will always be able to answer, hopefully, uh, because of their honorableness, it will abate any accusation. That's a parent's goal, a parent's dream, a parent's delight. It doesn't always work out that way, and it does put pressure on kids unduly. But it is something that we all work to. You know, you, you, some of you who are from down south, you go down home, down there, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, anywhere else, and you go to, to North Carolina, North Carolina, South Carolina, anywhere you get to, and, and somebody from your hometown take one look at you and say, mm, oh, you so-and-so's child. Oh, yeah, you from that family. They, they, they associate you not with you as an individual or person, but with who you are linked and connected to. So that your joy, your blessings, when you're doing well, reflects on everyone. And when you're not, that does too. Number six comes from verses 12 and 13. A prudent man sees evil and hides himself and avoids it. But the naive, who are easily misled, continue on and are punished by suffering the consequences of sin. The judge tells the creditor, take the garment of the one who is surety, guarantees a loan for a stranger, and hold him in pledge when he is surety for an immoral woman, for it is unlikely the debt will be replayed. Number, number six is heedfulness avoids assurances. Heedfulness avoids assurances. Now, this is a, a little sticky here, a little, little difficult to understand. First part of it is simply this. If you're wise, you see trouble, you go the other direction. I know people, they hear the, the, the alarm or the siren go off, and they want to follow the police car, see what action is. Not me. If they're going left, and I intended to go left, I go right and find my way around another way. You, the, the smarter you are, the more you avoid stupidity. But if you're not smart and you go into it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to deal with whatever consequences there are. The example that is raised here is an example, that's what verse 13 is really an example. It's an example of a person who stands as a guarantor for a debt for someone else. 
And so what the, what the judge, the person sitting there says, look, go ahead now, take the garment of the one who has made the guarantee because we don't know what's going to happen. In other words, you take a value from them because we don't know about this stranger, we don't know this person, and we don't know if they're ever going to pay. Matter of fact, if it's a person who they have gotten into because they are immoral, maybe they hooked up with someone who was a street walker, a pleasurer of those who will come find her in the night, he said, look here, go ahead and make them pay now because it's unlikely that she's ever going to pay. Just know what you're dealing with. The truth of the matter is, that when you are wise, when you are heedful, when you look into see situations, you avoid assurances. You avoid getting into the middle of stuff. You avoid being a guarantee for folk that you know are not going to do right. You're not going to get in that place. I read it in the Message Bible, verse 12 and 13, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. Hold tight to collateral on any loan to a stranger. Be wary of accepting what is transient has pawned. What a transient has pawned. Because whatever they pawn, you might as well give them the price you think it's worth because if you accept it, because they ain't coming back for it. Because they're just trying to get over. The, 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 the idea again is, consistently be on the lookout. Watch what people are doing. Watch who you get involved in with recognizing that character is more important than anything else. Character is more important than anything else. Number seven is in verse 14. He who blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning it will be counted as a curse to him, for it will either be annoying or his purpose will be suspect. The Message Bible puts it, verse 14, this way. If you wake your friend early in the morning shouting, rise and shine, it will sound to him more like a curse than a blessing. Number seven, hubris attention is annoying. Hubris. That, that loudness, bravado, aggressive, prideful. It's annoying. It's annoying. People don't want it, don't need it. You, you're, not, you're not a blessing anybody being loud and carrying on. You have to be careful how you conduct yourself in the presence of others because what you are doing and what you do will either be accepted as a blessing or a curse, and more often than not, your loudness and rudeness can be perceived as simply annoying. So you watch yourself. Hubris attention is annoying. It's annoying. Okay. The next one is number eight. Number eight is, it comes up in verse, uh, verse 15. It says, a constant dripping on a, 
on a day of a steady rain, and a contentious, quarrelsome woman are alike. Ladies, I'm not trying to be pejorative. I'm not trying to be patriarchal. I'm just reading what the text says. Don't get mad at me. Whoever attempts to restrain her with criticism might as well try to stop the wind and grasp oil with his right hand. Okay, number eight, helpmate. And I should say a helpmate that's argumentative is aggravating. A helpmate that is argumentative is aggravating. I don't know, but many people don't realize it, but there are some men who love a good argument. They love a good argument. They, they, they'll argue it down, they'll fuss with you, whatever. And they do that in the public square. But most don't like to argue. Whatever it takes to end the argument, whatever you say, yes, you're right. Well, you just stupid. Yes, I am. Because all I want to do is what? End the argument. The problem that people have when they get on 10, and listen to me, all spouses listen, male and female. When you get on 10, your logic goes out and the argument becomes persistent to the point that the other no longer wishes to be in your presence because the only thing I want to do is to have it stop. Watch this. So that the proverb here is that that nagging, that quarrelsomeness is as bad as the dripping of rain on a day and it's just beating on you. No one drop hurts, but as you keep going on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and then you tell the story again, and then you think you didn't, I didn't hear you, so you, not me personally, I'm just talking about other people, that's not me, not me, that's not me, that's not me. But you, they didn't hear you, so you're going to tell it a different way. And then, then you're going to add some more color to it and you know, some commentary, and, 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 and yeah, you turn to the left. And you looked a certain way. You, you, yeah, I saw you. You looked at me at the corner of your eye. I didn't even see you. Not, not me. I'm just talking about somebody else. What you don't know, the word help meet relates to a wife, a, a spouse, a person you're in, in relationship with. That that argumentativeness is aggravating. Because all I want to do is, watch this. And this is a man thing now. I'm going to be gender specific. And there are a lot of women who think like men in this regard. All I want to do is to find the compromise. What is the solution? I got it. Whatever it was I did, even if I didn't know I did it, if I allowed it and didn't know I allowed it, and someone else did it in my presence, but I wasn't aware that they were doing it, what, what is the compromise? Because for me, the first compromise is, shut up! Just shut up! Please! Don't say anything else! I can't take it! 
That's not me personally. That's the other people I'm talking about. That's not me. I don't have that problem. I don't have that problem. My, my wife and I have got an understanding. We don't have that problem like that. But for other folks, I've heard. It's been told. It's been said. That ain't my problem. But the, the, the point I'm making is that what people have to know that it can't be restrained. Now watch this. There is a teaching in Judaism about this last part of the year of grasping oil with the right hand. If you notice that the right hand is used in the hand of dominance, power, and love, and appreciation. So that when it talks about you can't grasp oil in the right hand, it is oil usually relates to perfume and relates to that which is sweet and good. And what it says is, no matter how beautiful, sweet, and good this is, you can't hold it. And no matter what you, how much you may want it, you can't keep it because it slips through your hands. And what folks don't realize is that the falling of relationships starts with an argumentative spirit. Okay. Just thought I would just throw that in for free. Okay, number nine. Number nine. And, and this goes to something that you want to get because this goes almost in contradistinction to what I just said, but it is not because there's a way to have a conversation. Number nine is in verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a, one man sharpens and influences another through discussion. So, number nine is this. Helpful agitation has advantages. Have advantages. Helpful agitation. Have advantages. So what do you mean, Reverend? What I mean is that there are times when you, the only way iron can sharpen iron is what? It's got to rub together. And after a while, it's going to get sharpened. So there are times when you really need to have a healthy conversation. And it may be a, a healthy, healthy de de debate, strong dialogue. And we may have to talk this out. But it can be done in a manner in which when we're done with it, we have sharpened one another so that we are better and not bitter. Oh, I'm preaching tonight. We want to finish with this conversation better and not bitter. And if you leave any conversation where you are bitter, it's because you have not sharpened each other. The dialogue has not <laughs> gone in a manner that's healthy and helpful. That's why each of us need to have people in our lives that don't mind agitating us a little bit, enough to bring us into a state of polish, a state of sharpness, a state where we can be better people. Because see, if you notice what I'm talking about now, right and wrong are not in either of these questions. The, 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 the dripping faucet there, steady thing on argument, doesn't say whether the person was right about their argument. Because you can be right in what you are saying and still have the wrong approach to bringing about change. You can be right. Blew that one. I messed up. Now what do I do? 
you can be right. But if it's not done in the right way, guess what? It's not what you say, it's the spirit in which you say it. Preach was. I'm talking to everybody in relationship right now. I'm helping you out right now. It's not what you say. It's the spirit in which you say it. You know, if you if you correcting me like you my mama, then we're going to have a problem. Because mine is in glory. Hello? So I'm, you, if, if, but if we're talking as colleagues, as friends, as, 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 as those who are in relationship, different conversation. <clears throat> That's like when I was a young, younger preacher, young, younger guy, I heard first time I heard uh, somebody say to me, uh, talking to my father, I think it was, and my father said, take that bass out your voice. Because it wasn't what I was saying. I was saying it rather aggressively as though I had something to say. And he was letting me know it was not my tone per se. It was that spirit that was rising up. And if he needed to, he would bring me and my spirit under subjection. And I didn't want to have to find out what that meant. All right, number 10. I got to roll. I'm going to make it, y'all. I'm going to get there. I got a lot to do in a few minutes to get here. Number 10 is in verse 18. He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who faithfully protects and cares for his master's will will be honored. Verse 18 in the message, if you care for your orchard, you'll enjoy its fruit. If you honor your boss, you'll be honored. Number 10 is simply this, honorableness achieves appreciation. When you do the right thing and you do it for people that respect people and that recognize honorableness, guess what? You're going to get appreciation. You may not know it. You may not know people are talking about you. People are saying, you know what? That person does their job well. That person cares about their job. They care about what they're doing. Your honorableness in whatever you do is going to achieve appreciation and you will be able to share in the prosperity of where you are. So if you're on a job and you do your job to your best ability and you're, uh, you're accomplishing what you ought to do, eventually someone will say, are we paying them enough? Are we giving them enough? Because we want to make sure we keep them then they share in the fruit of this blessing because they are blessing us. Number 11. This is a big one. I don't, I don't have time to really kill, work this like I want to, but let me just try and get it. Number 11, as in water, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of a man reflects man. The Message Bible. Just as water mirrors your face, so your face mirrors your heart. Number 11 is this, hearts are acknowledged in appearance. Hearts are acknowledged in appearance. Hearts are acknowledged in appearance. My wife can tell me all day, everything's okay. But if I look at her face, I can tell you whether it is or not. I can look right in the, I don't know what I did, but I messed up. And then, then she may tell me something, well, something going on with the kids. I'll be like, it wasn't me this time. I may not know what it is, but I can look at that face and say, oh, buddy, 
This ain't good. And we do that all the time. We can read your face. I can read your mind. I know what you're thinking. It's all right. It's all right, babe. I can read your, never mind. Anyway, how do we read one another? We read our face. Our face becomes a reflection of our heart. So hearts are, are acknowledged in appearance. Um, if, if you like someone, you know, you, you remember when you were younger, I'm not talking about you, know, you are in relationship now, but you remember when you were younger and, and, and the person you were kind of feeling came in the room, a little twinkle would get in your eye. And everybody around you would be like, ooh, I didn't know you liked them. I didn't say anything. You didn't have to. You ain't been looking like that all day. All of a sudden, your eyes, you, you done perked up. I done saw you feel your hair four or five times. Why? Because your face is very expressive. Just recognize that. Get it in your spirit. Okay, I got to run. Number 12. Shehol, the place of the dead. Verse 20. And Abaddon, the underworld, are never satisfied. Nor are the eyes of a man ever satisfied. Well, let me give it to you another way. Proverbs 27, 20, message says, hell has a ferocious appetite and lust just never quits. Put it this way. Number 12, hoarders aren't appeased. Hoarders aren't appeased. Now, if you just take the first two letters, you got the other way you can phrase that. Anyway, hoarders aren't appeased. Anyway, you you got to recognize that you, if you allow yourself to be thrusted, motivated, moved, pressed, called into the spirit of lust, that greed, that appetite can't be filled. It becomes just like the place of the dead. It's never filled. It's always never satisfied. You've got to learn to bring that what? Under subjection. Under subjection. What's a hoarder? Someone that keeps getting, bringing in, bringing in, bringing in, bringing in, bringing in. Nothing ever goes out. They just keep hoarding things around them because they're never satisfied. Number 13. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold to separate the impurities of the metal. And each is tested by the praise given to him and his response to it, whether humble or proud. I'll put it another way. The Message Bible puts it this way. The purity of silver and gold is tested and put, by putting them in the fire. The purity of human hearts is tested by giving them a little fame. You know, some people can't stand it they give them a little praise. Give them a little title, and they just blow up. They give them a position, oh my God. Because their, their true reality of who they are comes out with a little bit of fame, a little prestige, a little bit of money. So number 13 is this. Honor accentuates attributes. Honor accentuates attributes. So the truth is, the more a person is elevated, the more you'll see who they really are. 
the more they elevate it, the more you see who they really are. As they keep rising up, that's when you'll find out who they really are. Who are you at your core will be revealed by what God does in your life. And if you can be humble all the time, honor won't bother you. Elevation won't bother you. God can trust you with more because you know who you are. Number 14 comes in verse 22. Even though you pound a hardened, arrogant fool who rejects wisdom in a mortar and with a pestle-like grain, yet his foolishness will not leave him. Number 14 is this. Hardened arrogance isn't alterable. Hardened arrogance isn't alterable. In other words, if someone is arrogant, someone is, is, is in, their, in their self, and they, they just got it in them, you can beat them, you can spank them, you can do what you want to them, and it ain't going to change them. A fool going to be a fool? You, can, you think you can beat it out of them? Oh, I'm going to make this one do right. I'll beat that sin. I, no, you won't. No, you won't. Because what, what a person is is what they, what they are. What a person is in this spirit, you're not going to take away from them. They can. They can come up over it, but you can't. You can't make them release that spirit on their life. Number 15 is simply this. Be diligent, verse 23 to 27 is the end of the, the teaching. Be diligent to know the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone, the new growth is, is seen, and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in. The lamb will supply wool for your clothing, and the goats will bring the price of a field. And there will be enough goat's milk for food for your food and for food for your household and the maintenance of your maids. Listen, number 15 is this, household attention to assets. In other words, household attention to assets. It simply says this, pay attention to what you have, take care of what you have, it will take care of you. You take care of, what, in this case, he talks about taking care of the flock of, of, of goats and taking care of the herd of goats and animals, and eventually you can barter and trade the milk. You can take the, the hair, the wool from the goat, uh, and you can make clothing out of it. You can trade it. You can sell it. You can even eat the meat. He says, take care to pay attention to your assets. I can't tell you how many people got money who have no money because they didn't pay attention to their assets. Steve Harvey tells the story of losing $20 million and owing the IRS $20 million in, in back taxes because he was signing the check, putting, giving it to his, his accountant. His accountant was not putting the checks in the check in. When they came out, when the accountant died, uh, something happened, they found his checks attached to his taxes and found out that he hadn't paid taxes in years, and the IRS came back to him and made him want to pay him back with interest. He made a deal to pay off $20 million in taxes. And he said he took every job he could. He worked hard. He took all kinds of things, did all kinds of work, did everything, working on the radio in the morning, TV during the day. He said he had to hustle, and he said, but God blessed him to make it up. Let me tell you something. When you, you've got to know, you've got to pay attention to your assets. Pay attention to what God has given you. Pay attention to the wealth in your pocket, the wealth in your, in your IRA, the wealth in your, your accounts. Know what you have. 
take care of it so it can take care of you later. Because sooner or later, everything as it is today will not be the same tomorrow. So take care of your stuff. God bless you, saints. I got to go. That's it. It's been a good night tonight. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for all your prayers, all your love, all your kindness. Thank you for joining us here tonight in Bible study. I pray you got something out of this lesson tonight. Pray God speaks to you. Be back next week. We're going to do it again, do it again, do it again. It's going to make it happen. And as uh, DJ Khaled said, it'll be another one. Let me give you again. I want to ask if you <laughs> are interested in being a part of this fellowship on the screen now is a way to get in contact with me. But you don't just have to wait to call those numbers or that line there. If you're on Facebook right now, just uh, just DM us, amen. Send us a DM, say, look, here's my name. I just heard Bishop speak. Can someone call me? Here's my email address. Put it in the DM. We'll take that direct message and we'll get right back to you because we want you to be a part of our family. Well, <coughs> want to remind you to give tonight. You can give. Uh, there's three ways to give, through Givelify, through Cash App, or through the old-fashioned mail. I remind you that all of our offerings tonight are given as benevolent offerings that go to our diaconate, who ends up distributing it. They are doing a phenomenal job. They're also collecting now uh, for what's coming up for Thanksgiving and for uh, the baskets that we'll be doing over the holidays. So get ready. I hope you enjoy tonight. Food drive is going on. Thank you very kindly for that food drive message. Food drive is going on. Participate. Be a part of it. Again, if you're available on Thursday afternoons or Friday afternoons and you can join us to help with feeding those in this community, it would be wonderful. We need good volunteers with good spirits. If you don't have the right spirit and if your face is not right, remember people will read your face. So if you look like you stuck up, keep your stuck up self on. Amen. We want only those ready to serve the Lord with gladness. I'm about to get out of here. You know I got to go, y'all. I'm out of time, but I'm not out of word. Remind you to join me tomorrow, 1 o'clock, for prayer. Let's talk to Jesus in prayer together. I love you. You know all the people we are praying for. Again, we ask you to continue to pray. I want to give a shout-out today for tomorrow is my dear sister Deborah Maria Watts Miles' birthday. Happy birthday, big sis. We love you. Salute. I'm out. God bless you. Shalom.